Well, greetings to everyone this morning. In Jesus' name, welcome to everyone, visitors especially. God bless you for coming. I hope you've been blessed this morning already. I've been greatly blessed. Thank you for that word, Brother Lee. And we apologize about the clock. It went bad last week, or it's been going bad, so we're here without a clock, and I don't have a watch this morning, so hopefully it'll all come out all right. Anyway, let's, uh, let's bow our heads for prayer. We do that at this time. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege, the freedom, Lord, to gather here in this house to open the Bible and preach and teach, Lord, and sit here and receive into our hearts the things of the Lord. Lord, we know it's a privilege that some in the world don't have. Today, Lord, there's some in the world that are persecuted to go to a meeting like this. We pray for them, Lord, that in spite of that, you would bless them. And Lord, help us to not take our freedom and liberties here for granted, Lord, but we would sit here with ears to hear to receive what you have for us today. Oh, God. Lord, you've blessed us very much. You've given us very much, Lord. Your love cannot fail as we sang there, Lord. It's so true. As we were singing that, I thought, so what for responsibility do I have in light of that? A never-failing God, an unfailing love. How am I living with that reality, Lord? We have a responsibility, dear God, and I pray for your grace to, to live according to your will, dear God, to do your will in our life, Lord. So help me, Lord, bless the preaching of your word. Help me to convey what you want me to say, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the title of the message today for, that I have is Humility, Brokenness, and the Fear of God. And I think it goes well with what Brother Lee shared already. You can, for our text, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 66. Israel, at this point, as they often were, not in a good place before the Lord. Israel had a hard time staying consistent with God, and I think we're probably not strangers strangers to some of that ourselves. But Israel here was had profaned their offerings to the point where it was very an affront, I'm sure, to God. He says in, in verse 3 of Isaiah 66, He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. 
So Israel's worship had really fallen. Their offerings were profaned. And, and yet they, they, claimed, they, they claimed that they were the people of God a little bit. What Lee had shared about the Pharisees, they, they were supposed to be the spiritual people. They had the name. Here Israel had, had the temple. They, they, they gloried in, in the temple. They gloried in the building. And it's very obvious, and I'm sure this is no new news to any one of us here. God is so much more concerned, and it means so much more to God, the condition of the heart than the condition of a building or outward, outward things. God, God looks at the heart first of all. And our worship should be heartfelt. It should be a reality. Jesus told the woman at the well that God looks for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what he wants. The Pharisees were also glorying in the temple there. They, uh, actually, it was the disciples, I believe, told Jesus, look at this beautiful building. And, and he said, the time's going to come when there won't be left one stone upon another. And I think, I think Jesus was making a point. He was making a point that God doesn't dwell in buildings made with hands. He, he wants to dwell in our hearts. Later on in Corinthians, we read then that very clearly that, that the believer is the temple of God. The believer is the temple of God. And all these beautiful and magnificent buildings that they had were simply a type and a shadow of what was to come. So in light of that, let's read the first uh, four verses here of, of Isaiah 66. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things has mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite, a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word." He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. He that sacrificeth is a lamb as if he cut off a dog's neck. He that offereth an oblation as if he offereth swine's blood. He that burneth incense as if he blesseth an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. I also will choose their delusions, and I will bring their fears upon them, because when I call... None did answer. When I spake, they did not hear, but they did evil before mine eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. So I don't think it's hard for us to to understand and, and believe this morning that God is not interested in physical buildings, buildings made with hands, but he's interested in our hearts. He's interested in the condition 
of our hearts. He says here, to this man will I look. To this man will I look. I don't know what you think about that, but maybe you don't think about God in such a personal way, but have you ever pondered the fact that God wants to look at you personally? All of us. To this man will I look. This man, this woman gets my attention. I notice this man or woman, God says. Don't you think God's so big and he sees all the people over the face of the earth and he has time and and actually can see you? He says... Yes, he can see all things, but he notices the man, the woman that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Lee already said this, but to be poor in spirit is to be humble. Humility. God looks to the man that is humble. Moses A very meek man, a very humble man. God looks to the man that is humble. He notices a man that is of a contrite spirit. A man that is able to break his heart over the needs in his life. And a man or a woman that trembles at God's word. That is the fear of God. Humility, brokenness, and the fear of God. These things are very important in our lives. They are very, very important. It brings God's attention upon our lives. God does not mistake a man or a woman that is humble and broken and fears him. I think, I think our world is losing out on the fear of, of God. I think they are. And maybe we should just, just be, be aware of that. We should think about that. We should consider that. How lightly people talk about God and, and the, way they, they, the way they talk about God and, and the names they call God. Those things should, should really startle us as, as children of God. We should be aware that we are not getting used to the dark of our day, but be sure that we are of those that are humble and broken and have the fear of God. We need the face of God upon our lives. It was a cry of David. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. David knew what it meant to have the face of God turned toward him. He said, turn us again, O Lord God of hosts. Cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. And he knew when God hid his face from him. 
He prayed, O God, why hidest thou thy face from me? The face of God, the blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit, that's humility, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, that's brokenness, for they shall be comforted. God does that. God does that by his spirit. He comforts his children. And he blesses them. In light of the sin that we see around us, in light of awful sin that is becoming so common among us, things that, that make our hearts just shudder. We should never get used to those kinds of sins. Sodomy. And we live among these people. And some of us need to do business with these people. I had to, and it's never fun. James says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Perhaps that, that could be over the sins, for sure, if, if we have any sins in our own lives, but for sure also sins in, around us, just sins of humanity. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians 1 for a reading there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 on humility. First Corinthians one, verse twenty six. For ye see your calling, brethren. Now this calling, I believe, means the calling to be a Christian, the calling to be a follower of Jesus. For ye see your calling, brothers and sisters, how that not many wise men after the flesh. Not many mighty, not many noble are called. It's hard for a wise man to come to the Lord. A wise man needs to humble himself to come to the Lord. He needs to lay, in many ways, he needs to lay his own wisdom down. And God says here, not many wise men after the flesh, worldly wisdom, You know, trying to figure this thing out, how it works. Hard for wise men to repent and admit they're wrong. Rather, they like to prop themselves up and make themselves look good. And even like like we heard in the children's lesson, wisdom in this world is a good thing, worldly wisdom. But, But God says here, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty Not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things which are which are not, to bring to naught things that are, 
Why did God do this? That no flesh should glory in his presence. God is God. God said, what for house will you build me? All your materials I made. But he says, I will come and live in the man or woman who's humble and broken and gives me all the glory. I will dwell with that person. I will look upon that person and that poor person, that sinner that stands outside that door wanting salvation. It's not hard for him to admit that he has a need and to humble himself, that beggar, He knows his needs. And when God touches him outside of his own strength and power, it's not hard for him to give God all the glory. It's just a natural thing. God does this so that no flesh should glory in his presence. God is not impressed when we boast about our works. Yes, we should have works. Our faith should produce works. But God is not impressed when we boast about our works. He is a jealous God. His glory he will not give to another. And so he calls, so he calls the weak, the foolish, things of this world and uses what appears weak and foolish to wise men of this world and he uses the base things of this world and the things which are despised even things which are not of no value to worldly wisdom to bring to naught things that are. Why does he do that? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, verse 30, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, let him, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The man or woman that comes to the Lord and just realizes there is, they have nothing to give. All they, all they are here to do is to repent and admit their need of a Savior that man can turn around and say, yes, Jesus is my wisdom. Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my sanctification and redemption. He can say that. You know, the man that came to Peter and, was it Peter and John, and wanted to buy the Holy Spirit with money? Peter told him, you don't have part or lot in the matter. You don't get it. This thing isn't bought with money. You get this by humbling yourself. You get it by breaking your heart. You get it by having the fear of God. Thy money perish with thee, he said. I think he turned around and asked them to pray for him. That man did. And I don't think it says what became of him. 
But the human nature, very few of us in, here, in our human nature are big enough to become little enough to be used of God. We need to see ourselves for as we really are. John Bunyan said, he that is down need fear no fall. He that is low, no pride. He that is humble ever shall have God to be his guide. God does this so that no flesh glories in his presence. Paul told the Galatians that we should not be desirous of vain glory. Isn't the flesh kind of sneaky sometimes? And sometimes it just has a way of kind of wanting a little bit of glory. Beware. Let us beware. Galatians were warned to not be desirous of vain glory. Now, don't anyone see that I did a good job? Don't anyone notice? Didn't anyone notice? Be not desirous of vain glory. Paul learned that he said, but God forbid that I should glory or boast save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Oh, God did a thorough work in Paul's life. That old cross crucified the world to Paul and Paul to the world. It was a double-edged sword, if you will. It went both ways. The pull of the world and the pull of the flesh were taken care of. When Paul came to the Lord and he said, I've learned to glory in that. I've learned to glory in the cross of Jesus Christ, who, who the world had nothing for. To the world, Christ was the most unwanted man. He was a cast out. He was a, he was a vagabond. But to the, to the Christian, he should be our glory. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. In, in explaining humility, Isaiah says it like this. Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? You know, shall the axe turn around and say, ain't I really doing a good job? Ain't I doing a good job cutting this tree down to the one that handles it? Or shall the saw magnify itself against, against him that shaketh it? Ain't I really doing a good job cutting this two by four off? The saw wouldn't do a thing, nor the axe wouldn't move without the strength of a man's hand. And that is, how, that is the attitude that God wants us to have towards him. Humility. My second point is brokenness. Brokenness. It's hard to be broken. We don't like to be broken. 
Sometimes we try to wax things up and patch things up to make it look good, but but the Bible says that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Why do we try and patch things up? Why do we try and be something on the outside that we're not on the inside? Wouldn't it be better just to be real, just to be broken? Speaking to myself as well. You know, God specializes in fixing broken things. But I think the vessel that sits on the shelf all waxed together and acting like it's, it's okay, I don't think God really is impressed with that vessel. But that vessel that's broken, he can put back together. Humpty Dumpty can't do it, but God can. Amen? God can. And God will. And God wants to. Turn with me to Psalms 34. God will, God wants to, if we let him. Psalm 34, verse 15. Brokenness. Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their and his ears are open unto their cry the face of the lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth the righteous cry and the lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles the lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Contrite. The definition of contrite means to collapse or to be crushed. Collapsed or crushed? And I think a picture of this, a Bible picture would probably be Paul and Silas in prison there. We pick up the story, you know, at midnight when they started singing and praising God, but I think they were crushed as those whips came down upon their backs, as they suffered those stalks, those locks around their feet. They were crushed. They were broken. And you know the end of the story. God came through to them beautifully. God opened up not only their prison, but for all the prisoners, especially the the prison keeper, got set free that night. When men 
two men allowed themselves to be broken and just allowed God to heal them and take care of them. Oh, may I learn, may we learn a lesson from Paul and Silas. There's a very beautiful story about David when he came back with his men from being rejected to go with the Philistines to battle and they found their city all burned and their wives and children taken. And those big strong warriors sat down and wept till they couldn't weep anymore. And then their sorrow turned to anger towards David and David went and encouraged himself in the Lord. I think that's a picture of a broken man, just broken before God. And God brought it all, put it all together. Isn't that what we want in our lives? It says here in our little reading here in Psalm 34 that that the eyes of the Lord are open to the righteous. God is not asleep. His ears are open to their cry. Dearly beloved, we need to pray when times are hard. Amen? God needs to hear our cry. He needs to hear our voice. Sometimes some are... Some of our problem is we don't pray. We don't get alone with God and we don't cry out. When the going gets really hard and really tough and we say, Lord, I don't know how I can go on. God needs to hear our voice. He needs to hear our cry. Men, women, young people, God needs to hear your cry. We have not because we ask not sometimes. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. That's one place we don't want to be. To have the face of the Lord against us. We'll maybe say a little more on on that later. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry. And the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Verse 18, the Lord is not far away at all from those that are of a broken heart. Can't that be just enough? You know, sometimes the Lord don't always come right away and fix our problems. But... If our heart is broken and we are crying out, can we be assured that the Lord is near? That should, be a, that should mean a lot to us. That fact right there. Until he changes the situation, isn't it enough that God is near? Hallelujah. Isn't that beautiful? God is near. If God breaks my heart over a need, if God breaks your heart over a need, and you get alone and and you cry out to God, be assured that the God of heaven, the God that heaven itself and the heaven of heavens can't contain is near. Think about that for a while. He is near. Look at verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. The Bible says, 
we weep now, but we will laugh later. We'll rejoice later. Weeping endureth but for a moment. Joy cometh in the morning. Hallelujah. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. You know, and if we're not careful, Satan will use this to, we let Satan use this to his advantage. We think, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I in this situation? Why am I suffering this affliction? Must be something wrong with me. Anyone familiar with that kind of reasoning? Well, I'll tell you what, you stay there long enough, you'll be in the basement really fast, right? And you won't have a prayer to pray, and you won't have a cry to give. It takes faith to believe at times like that, and to press through, and to get a hold of God, and let him hear your voice, and believe him that he's near, and say, it's okay, whatever I'm facing, God, you know what you're doing. And allow that thing to just break us to where God can make something beautiful out of that. Hallelujah. But the Lord delivereth them, him out of them all. Beautiful, beautiful. <clears throat> and my last point, the fear of God. He that trembleth at my word. He that trembleth at my word. Let me go back here to Isaiah 66 again. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. This Bible, do we tremble at it? Do we tremble at its truth? Does it concern me what it says? Do I believe it to where I get uncomfortable sometimes? Our view of God will determine if we tremble at the word of God or not. How we see God, how we see this book, will decide if we're going to tremble at, that, at the contents of that book. If I believe this book, as it says in Hebrews, if I believe that the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Every disobedience, every transgression will receive its just payment. If I believe that, I will tremble. I will get a bit uncomfortable about that. I will get concerned if I believe that. God says he will look to the man who believes this word and believes that God means what he says and says what he said what he meant. If I believe 
the history of the children of Israel, their journey through the wilderness is written for my admonition. Think about that with me, brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians clearly tells us that these things were written for our admonition. If I believe that, I will tremble at this word. If I believe that he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought of, thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite, insulted the Spirit of grace. I will tremble if I believe that. And we know that those that sin under Moses' law, they died without mercy. How much more us today if we tremble underfoot what God has given to us? On the other hand, those that don't tremble, Jude says there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude is saying that there are men, there were men in his day and I believe there's men in our day, who turned the grace of God into a license to sin. That's what lasciviousness means. That's what preachers mean when they say cheap grace, or you can sin because we're under grace. That's a license to sin. If I, if I have that mindset, I probably won't tremble like I should. I probably won't tremble what I sh- like I should. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 12 to 16 that we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? I think it means a daily, up-to-date walk with God. To just stay clear with God. None of us, I promise, will want to meet God in an unprepared state. None of us here will want to meet God that way. To hear those words, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. None of us want to do that. But we live in a day when men make this Bible say anything. And you can get away with sin because it's the day of grace. And men no longer tremble at what the Bible says. This is not man's word, it's God's word. And God says, he will look to the man that takes this book and says, God, that's me. Change me. Change me, Lord. God says, you're changed. He did it there with those two that went to the temple. The one smote his breast and boasted the good man. No, the other man boasted of the good man that he was. And God never heard his prayer. Well, he heard his prayer. But the other went home justified the one that repented, and saw 
himself for who he was, and he heard the word of the Lord, and he trembled at God's word. We live in a day when men lightly can make funny jokes about God. I, I don't like that. Funny texts shoot funny things around about God. I don't think we should be involved in that one at all, one bit. It's just a process of turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, allowing us to live loosely and lightly and sinfully. Jude warned about those men. If I have this view of God, I'm not trembling at the word. Romans says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Oh, there's grace. You can go and kill someone and go to heaven tomorrow. They'll say that. Preachers will say that. The next verse says, God forbid. How shall we continue in sin? I can't quote the rest of the verse there. I don't have it down, but you know it. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If I, have, if, if I think like that, I probably will. I probably won't deal with sin in my life if I'm slanted that way, if I lean that way. Here's another one. Peter warned, he says, we're free. And you, you hear that, I'm free in Christ. But Peter says, yes, we're free and not using your liberty for a, lo- for, for a cloak of maliciousness but as the servants of God. Don't use your liberty to sin, to get away with sin. There's, this is a warning against a reckless view of sin and not trembling at the word of the Lord. Moses said, when he saw that scene there in, in the wilderness, that, that mountain, that Cloud come down, smoke upon that mountain, lightning and thunder and an exceeding loud trumpet. And the voice, it was so loud that Moses said, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Moses stood at the foot of that mountain just trembling. Now I know we haven't come to Mount, Mount, Mount Sinai. We have come to Mount Zion. That has changed. We can come to God and don't need to tremble like Moses did. But the fact of the matter is God hasn't changed in his view of sin, in his holiness, in his power. Nothing has changed in that. All that has changed that now, instead of the, the priest going in into God's presence once a year for his own sins and for the sins of the people. Every one of us get to go into the presence of this holy, mighty, terrible God with the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Every one of us gets to do that. But dearly beloved, with that privilege, I think we should still tremble and with awe Come before God. Not flippantly, not haphazardly. We shouldn't live our lives that way. 
We should tremble at this word that every disobedience and transgression will receive a just payment. And yes, we have grace. We do live in the day of grace. But it's grace to overcome sin. Amen? It's not grace to live in sin. It's not grace to continue to sin. It's grace to overcome sin. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Adam Clark said, if, if, if I do not watch and pray and continually depend on God, my, enem- my enemies will surprise me. They will come up upon me. We need Jesus over and over warned us, watch and pray, watch and pray. It's part of trembling. It's part of watching. It's part of being ready to meet the Lord. Watch and pray, continually depending on God so that the, our enemies won't surprise us. He said, he goes on to say, and your light and life will become extinct. And then consider what an awful account you must give to him whose spirit you have grieved and of whose glory you have come short of. Is our light growing dim, brothers and sisters? Is our salt losing its saltiness? Have we ceased to earnestly watch and pray? Are we getting tired like his disciples and falling asleep? Is our love growing lukewarm? What causes me to tremble? The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Peter says, and if the righteous scarcely with difficulty, that means be saved, with difficulty. Jesus said we should daily take up our cross. Amen? That's part of the difficulty there. It's not a one and done done deal. It's a daily deal. Peter says, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Maybe we should do a reality check. I have an opinion of where I'm at spiritually. And you have an opinion where I'm at spiritually. And God has an opinion where I'm at spiritually. What matters most? The church in Revelation had this problem. They said uh, uh, that they were rich, increased with goods, in need of nothing. That was their opinion of themselves. But God had another opinion, and he said, Thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So we have an opinion of ourselves, and other people have an opinion of us, and God has an opinion of us, I think. And this is my closing comment. I think we should concern ourselves what God thinks. Because the Bible says, For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. Whom the Lord commendeth. Whom the Lord looks at. Ah, there's a man. There's a woman. There's a young person that is 
that is uh, humble, broken, and trembles at this word. May God help us. May God help us. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of grace. This is the day to have overcoming victory. May God help us. May God give the blessing.